Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MedTech Impact Podcast, where you get to hear from leaders and innovators who are shaping the future of medical technologies. I'm your host, Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikkeljohn. And today with us, we have Catherine Clayton, the co-founder and CEO of OmniViz. Catherine, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, heck yeah. We're thrilled to have you here. So, of course, before we get started and we dive into the technology and talk about all the amazing stuff that you're doing at OmniViz, you know, tell us a bit about yourself and and feel free to go far back, you know, into your childhood and kind of those experiences and how those might have shaped you and got you to where you are today. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am always really proud to start off with telling people that I am a San Francisco native. This is my hometown, and after years of leaving, it's exactly where I wanted to come back to, even though lately we've had plenty of storm and rain that may make people think otherwise. Uh, But really, yeah, I grew up here, and when I was a little girl, I actually had a uncle who passed from full-blown AIDS, and it was the first time I knew anyone to, to pass away. And so when I was little, I, I told everyone that I was going to cure the world of all diseases when I grew up, which totally normal life goal hasn't happened by any means, but that is really what started me on my interest of medicine. And so as I was kind of coming closer to college and debating what my major should be, I read an article about a woman in this field called biomedical engineering. And so I thought, huh, that's, that's kind of cool. I like math. I like science. And so I ended up going and doing my undergrad and my master's in biomedical engineering and learned that that was much more about building medical devices. And I thought, wow, if you could build a medical device, you could help so many people as rather than an individual basis. This is really cool. Uh, and then I, I started to understand the whole idea of how do you make med tech? How do you make different types of technologies more accessible to everyone, not just in a hospital setting, not just in a, a top institute? How can you bring this to any part of the world and make this readily available? And so, I said, okay, I don't, I don't see anyone quite doing that in the industry yet. What's the next best, best step so I can get here? And so I decided to go through the pain of my PhD. Uh, and I went to Purdue University and did my PhD in mechanical engineering. So I, I slightly shifted. Uh, and then I ended up loving it. Purdue was such a good education. And I was able to start developing some pretty cool technology. And so that's really what led to Omnivus, which I know we're going to get into here. But that, that's a little bit about me, a little bit about my background and traveling from, from school to school there. <laughs> awesome. I guess one of the things you touched on there was you had this moment happen in your younger childhood that kind of motivated you and inspired you to go on this journey. Has there been anyone else in terms of mentors, advisors? I mean, you touched on your PhD there. What was that relationship like with your supervisor? Because that can sometimes be a big impacting factor in your career yeah. path as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, mentors and advisors are everything, not even just for an entrepreneur, but anybody going into any aspect of their career. Uh, For PhD advisors, I am incredibly lucky. I had awesome PhD advisors who ended up becoming my co-founders today. So whether or not they like it, they're stuck Mm -hmm. with me. And uh, really, though, we had a, a great relationship. I had advisors who I had from different disciplines, from mechanical engineering, from biomedical engineering. So 
shout out to, to Steve Worley, Tamara Kinzer Ertham, and Jacqueline Linnitz here. Uh, but they came from these different backgrounds that uh, helped me have a very kind of multifaceted education and background uh, to be able to eventually build a lot of the technology that we, we use today in our platform. So they've been critical. Uh, also, my master's thesis advisor, he was the one that first ever introduced a project to me that maybe I could do something more accessible. We did paper-based diagnostics back when I was a master's student, which ended up becoming super popular during the COVID pandemic, really. So when I saw that happening, it was a, it was a full circle experience. So I think those are some of the really big advisors that I've, I've had over the years. Yeah. I, I, I do have a question about that too. I mean, your experiences at um, Purdue, uh, mm -hmm. Did the technology, did Omnivis technology, did the idea start while you were in Purdue? Yeah, it, it did. I was, I was developing some of this underlying technology, looking at a ton of different applications. And uh, one of my advisors said, there's this class going on at Purdue where they're taking biomedical engineers and business majors and learning how to go do customer discovery. Maybe you could see if your technology could be of interest to a certain field. And at the time, we were thinking about something completely different. We were thinking about using it in diabetes care. So nothing close to what we do today. But it helped me understand that that process. And then somehow I got, you know, brought in to do it my first pitch competition back at Purdue on the technology I was developing. Um, and I was terrified. I had no idea what it meant to talk about, you know, your, your five-year financial projections. I didn't know what a market or a market segment or market size was. So it was, it was a really cool experience how much Purdue set me up for that. Mm -hmm. And those two words you said there, customer discovery, I think that's something we always love to hear. Like what's that been like for you in terms of leading you to your chosen technology? Uh, I have to say coming from that, that engineering background, when I first heard I had to do it, I was sitting there going, oh, you know, this, uh, this sounds like a lot of talking to people. Uh, but then I ended up loving it. I Every time we have a new idea or we think about a new customer segment or even just like a feature or a value proposition that we want to bring into the, the device or what we're creating, we go out and we do customer discovery. I think we've done well over 400, maybe even 500 customer discovery interviews wow. at this point in time to, to cross many different sectors. And so it's really cool because suddenly somebody will give you such a great piece of information, like a, like a little piece of gold. And then all of a sudden you'll use that piece of information in your next customer discovery call. And that person suddenly is seeing why that's really important too. And it, it propagates and suddenly you're going, wait, that's, that's exactly what I need to have in my product or my service. So yeah, I love it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's really interesting too. I, I think um, I first heard um, the founders of Airbnb where they started actually out of San Francisco. I believe they're actually from uh, Rhode Island, uh, but either way, it wasn't until they started doing customer discovery, you realize the importance of that where it completely opened their eyes to, whoa, this is how people see and view and use our technology, our service, you know, whoa, okay, it's very eye-opening. So then as you go ahead and you drive improvements, uh, you know, doing that in mind, it's it's amazing the progress you can make. So 400 is quite impressive, I guess. Where, where are you in your, uh, your where is your technology at today, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So when we started Omniviz, we really had this idea of, of global health in mind. And so 
I guess to, to back up a little bit, really at Omniviz, what we're doing is we're creating this handheld device to do rapid disease diagnostics and really making a device that anyone can use and really making science accessible again to different communities. And so when we started, we wanted to do this global health angle. We wanted to detect for this disease cholera in water samples. So cholera affects around 5 million people every single year. And it's a problem that we think of as being so age old, but it really is all over the world still today. But there's no rapid way to detect it. It usually takes up to a week. So we created this handheld platform that people could do this in 30 minutes. And really anyone who's part of some sort of local NGO or aid organization could take it out to the field, test the water and get that result. And we had a lot of great feedback. Actually, this year or this past year, there was a cholera vaccine shortage. And a lot of people came to us saying, you know, can, can we use this device? Uh, but the problem was, was that while cholera is a huge issue around the world, where a lot of the funding happens, uh, people are not particularly interested in what cholera is because it's not something that a lot of funders or donors experience. It's something that others sometimes experience. And so we had that mismatch. We had a product market fit, but we didn't have a capital fit. And we make hardware. And I love this, to always hear that whole term. Hardware is hard. Hardware is super hard. It's super expensive. Um, and so with that, and seeing also the pandemic and our lack of access to customers, because we couldn't just fly across the world to access these customers who I absolutely loved working with, we started to say, well, how can we use a similar technology to, to use this something closer to home? And so the one thing that, you know, being experts in doing pathogens and working at least in water and other types of substances like that, we started to see that back home, we have food safety issues year after year. Every time you open the news, it feels like there's another outbreak of salmonella, E. coli, listeria. And so we said, okay, very similar principles in the scientific realm of things. And same thing in that we do this outside. We can do this in pretty nitty gritty environments. Um, and we want to make this accessible for anyone to use. Why can't we use this at food production facilities? Why can't we use this with, with growers and farmers? I live in California, the salad bowl of America, right? I have access now to my customers very, very easily. The science is translatable. I'm still creating and working on really good, useful, big problems. Um, and so we did recently pivot toward going from this global health angle to something more local where we do have access to, to customers and everyone in the US needs to eat. Everyone around the world needs to eat and we need to eat safely and not go to the hospital for it. Uh, I, one big fact that really floored me when I was doing this pivot was one in six people get a food-related illness every year. So that means I'm sitting at my dining table. There's, I'd be one of those six people that, <laughs> that gets a foodborne illness just because I'm eating this really delicious salad. And this could go back to these growers and these farmers who are just trying to provide for, for people like me to eat. So that, that was kind of that, that differentiation point and that's the pivot. And so with that customer discovery, it's a lot more fresh and it's a lot more new and it's, I'm getting excited. I'm getting jazzed again because I'm talking to people and I'm, I'm seeing the real problems and the real issues. So that, that's a little bit behind the customer discovery and about the pivot and what Omnibus does, yeah. Who's using your technology? Is it the grower, the farmer themselves? And I guess, could you kind of shed some light on how it's used? Yeah, absolutely. So we are definitely still pre-commercialization, um, but we are getting really close here. But we've always seen it as three big segments, and then I'll go into where we want to start. 
One is definitely, yeah, the, those growers, a lot of big growers that, that you see, not maybe, maybe, not maybe necessarily the really small ones, but the big, big houses, um, they tend to have food safety officers already on staff. Um, that's, so that's one segment. One segment is looking at food distribution and production facilities. Um, so they get the food in, they have to process it, package it, et cetera. And then the third is the grocer side of things. Um, so the, the grocery stores that are getting that intake, they kind of have to check what's going on. They want to make sure that what's on their shelves is, is safe and good. Um, but when we looked at those three, where we really saw the first place to go was those food production facilities. They already have testing that they're doing every week or sometimes every month. Uh, they have to do their reporting. There was an act that was passed in 2011, 2012 called FISMA, um, the Food Safety Modernization Act. So they're already having to keep in compliance. We just want to make their lives easier. So that's really where we see ourselves going first. And starting at the adopting. source, yeah. right? You're starting at the source. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. But no, no. Please continue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I think that was exactly it. So we we saw that was the best place for, for adoption first. And then based on that trust and that building, we could go then maybe into other segments in the future. Yeah, that's nice. that's that's very interesting. Yeah, Richard. Yeah, I just love the way you've taken this huge like mission uh, and you're kind of really living to this phrase, you know, think global, act local, and you're really like cornering your local market. And and again, that can still go back in the future into these bigger markets overseas, but it's just a really nice journey you're going on. Um, I, I, so I guess like- Is that your tagline, by the way? <laughs> no, I, no. I Richard, like, say it again for the people. <laughs> you got to think global and you got to act local. And it's actually a guy from Scotland, wow. Patrick Geddes, who coined this phrase. He was a scientist. Um, okay. Uh, and so, yeah, I can't claim any credit for it. But, yeah, I think it's so appropriate for what you're doing. Definitely. It's really yeah, cool. It's um, and I guess yeah. with this technology in mind now, what's kind of next on the horizon for you? What does the year ahead look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, Richard, I mean, I might be asking you to join a marketing team at this rate because that was that was just beautiful to add there. <laughs> uh, but no, really, what we're kind of doing right now is we're raising some funds to get the last of our very first E. coli assay out the door. And what we want to do is we want to first pilot with some local facilities to see how this really works in their setting, see if this really works for them um, is the data that we're providing what they want to see. Is it really usable? Are there tweaks that we can make um, to make sure that this is a truly user-friendly device? So I think that that's like the very first step here on the horizon. With that, you know, we always have to raise capital. I think every entrepreneur will talk your ear off about raising capital. And uh, I know the second I talk to another entrepreneur, that's what they're going to bring up. So I will say that I am part of that bandwagon. But that's a, a big one to be able to do a lot of that, that kind of work there. Um, and then after we do E. coli, we want to grow into other food pathogen testing. So I think the next one on our docket would be salmonella and then followed by listeria. So really the, the big three that we hear about a lot. Nice. And, and uh, is your product technically, does it have to go through the 510k or process or how does that work? Yeah, so we don't do the 510k or the PMA process, but... But regulatory is still important in food safety. Yes. Um, and so there is something called the AOAC that we have to go through and make sure that there's certification on our device. And so that is that is still very much important. And the FDA does still have a definitely a footprint in, in food safety. Um, so for example, they have a, a zero tolerance policy toward pathogens uh, and pathogen presence in food. So they they play a huge part. And that's why going from med tech and then going into to food, there's actually a, not too bad of a, a translation. I used to take FDA classes when I was in school. So I'm going, 
okay, like there are certain similarities in the FDA. Same thing. I have to make sure I'm always doing right by the FDA. Well, it sounds like you've got this all wrapped up in terms of your background and the, and the team's experience to address this. But I really want to come back to that word you mentioned around investment and just mm-hmm. try to get a little more information on how has that process been for you from never having raised funding before to where you are now? Because as you say, it's yeah. so topical for every entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I think even before we we did the more, you know, traditional modes of investment of, of getting a seed round, what we did to de-risk our technology a little bit was we did a lot of grant funding. Uh, we had the small business uh, grants from the NSF and NIST and USDA, and we had philanthropic grants, and those helped us de-risk the technology because we said we want this to be a little bit more de-risked before we go out to, to raise uh, capital from an angel investor or a VC. Uh, and then so we did start after that to, to look at, at seed funding. And it's definitely been an interesting journey. Um, I think when we were doing much more uh, diagnostics in the health tech space, unfortunately, at that time, there are two parallel things going on. One was everyone was jumping on the bandwagon for COVID-19 testing. And while very incredibly important, I think it really saturated the market quickly. Um, and so I think a lot of people are getting a little bit tired of hearing about COVID-19 diagnostics and then diagnostics in general. And then the second was there was an unfortunate company that I don't think I will even need to name in this podcast that uh, maybe was not completely honest about their diagnostic devices and it, it brought down their their CEO. And so I think that those two things happening at once while we were starting to raise was very much at the forefront of the minds of people who are investing and they can only go off of the trends that they know and what they see. And so if that's what they're, where their pulse is at, it's a very uncomfortable place to be. Now, I think this year is going to be interesting as we look to raise a little bit more capital for Omnivis because I think there are people who are very much in fear of recession. Um, But I've also heard the much opposite side of things is a lot of great companies with really solid solid products have been built in the worst of times. And so seeing that Omnivis is still here, we're entering this recession that we got through a pandemic. I have a lot of hope for that, that raise and that process. That's been the journey. It's not easy. It's not easy to raise. If somebody's having a really easy time raising, They might be doing a hype product. I don't know. Maybe raise your eyebrow a little bit. Maybe it's genius. Maybe it's wonderful. Uh, But, you know, ask ask why that that is. But otherwise, yeah, it's hard. And hardware is hard. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really great takeaway, though. I think for anyone that's developing a product or technology that might not require that FDA 510K approval process, but the importance of of garnering, uh, leveraging that that data in in those studies or, or, you know, whatever you do to have to build that case and to show the efficacy, right, of your product, it's, um, it's really important. And then obviously, as you go to then enter the market and and market that to your potential customers uh you know that's going to be really important to them so those are great points tell us a little bit more about your experiences with the impact program and m2d2 and you know how that even shaped the future of omnivis and where you guys are at today yeah absolutely so we first heard about the m2d2 impact program because we had previously done the barracuda bowl and we loved the barracuda bowl we had a lot of fun my team, you know, they all virtually signed in and watched and it was just a really, really great time. And there were really cool companies that were pitching that day. So when we saw the email coming in for this 
thing called the M2D2 Impact Program, we said, heck yeah, we're going we're gonna to apply for this. And we had done accelerators and incubators previously, but they had focused either on women doing startups or social impact. And those were great. Those really did help us. But we said, we really want to be part of some program that does more of a med tech focus. And so it was all a natural fit. And so when we got in, we were really excited. We said, oh my gosh, you know, we're, we're going to be part of this, this kind of med tech accelerator. This is really cool. I have known somebody who'd been in the program previously, who I think is a great entrepreneur. Um, so David Hoja over at, at Parrots Inc. So another shout out there. Uh, but I, I wanted to, to join the program from that. And so being in the program, what I really loved is pretty much weekly, there was programming around different aspects that you need to have in place or think about uh, as a med tech company. So FDA, I remember there were kind of different topics about FDA. I remember there was a topic about quality in QMS systems um, and about R&D and, and kind of developing out that pipeline for your product. And I would not just attend these, but I would find people on my team who were pertinent to that particular topic. And I could bring them in to listen to what was going on, to, to write notes, to ask questions, to come back after and, and see what, what is it that we need to pull from that program or that, that workshop for the day and bring back into the company because maybe we didn't think about it. Mm. And so that was a really great aspect of the program because every week we we're saying, oh, wait, okay, from that topic, do we have that in place? Have we thought about that? Do we need that? Yes, no, why? Uh, could we need it in the future? So I think that that was a really big part or a big aspect of the, the MT, M2D2 program that we took away for our company. That's, I think it was interesting because you were, you were part of the BARDA cohort, so BARDA, the mm -hmm. Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. And of yep. course, again, at that time, there was a big focus around COVID. It was still very much in the forefront of everyone's minds. Um, but I think your company now, you've, you've pivoted towards a different space. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that pivot uh, I know you've touched on this a bit earlier, but you know, how has that been in terms of now finding this direction towards the ag tech space? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I think um, having BARDA on board for that particular time was really nice because it was people who cared about diagnostics and detection. So for me, I was like, this is great. Like whether or not it's exactly what we're solving, it's people who get it. It's people who get the space. It's people who get why pathogens can be a security issue across so many things. Uh, and so I got to connect with people at BARDA and they were all really awesome. And I actually ended up seeing them throughout different events after M2D2. So I suddenly had that recognition. So super cool. Um, and then, so I would say then too, with the, the pivot, um, I would say that once again, even though Omnivis had started going into M2D2 because we were working on cholera, which much more direct, directly affects humans, um, that even though we went to food safety, there were still similar principles. You were still having to take the principles of a QMS system of R&D product pipelines that we were learning at M2D2 and now applying it to detecting pathogens in food. It, it went right across. Where the FDA lessons might have been more about 510Ks or PMAs from the program, it was just basically the same thing as you need to have good documentation. You need to make sure that you have good testing in place. You have great record keeping in place that you find the right people to liaise with these different programs and certifications to make sure that you have some sort of regulatory approval. Don't ignore regulatory approval. It'll really bite you later. Um, and so all of those things really did play a part, even though now we are food safety. And so somebody might look at us and say, why would you do a med tech accelerator? I'm sitting there going, 
why wouldn't you? Some of the, the things and some of the rules that are around med tech are so stringent. They're so strict. And if you can succeed there, you can probably succeed in a lot of different areas. So take that mentorship, take that help. I mean, honestly, the thing that rings through from that message is the fact that you're just constantly listening. I know you mentioned this in terms of your customer discovery, but you're so open to that feedback. And I know that's hard sometimes coming through programs because you get so much information and so much advice, but you're constantly mm -hmm. listening and you're digesting it and you're thinking about, you know, how to move forward, given the recommendations. And I think that places you in a great place going forward. Oh, oh yeah. I think uh, a lot of things that you do, it's kind of like a buffet. You have to, you have a lot of options, but you have to pick out from the buffet what works for you. But if you have it, use it to your best ability or eat it, I guess. <laughs> you've, you've alluded to a number of things, you know, uh, throughout our discussion today, um, how important team is, you know, how important it is to do the groundwork and, um, you know, and really kind of broaden your horizon, right? Don't just be so focused in the food space, you know, look at that medical space and how you can benefit from, from learning, you know, how to bring a medical device to market, apply those to what you're doing in food, right? I guess what I'm trying to say is, or what I want to ask, you know, for, for anyone out there developing a technology, a device or anything like that, I guess, you know, what's that one big kind of takeaway or tip or anything that you might recommend someone consider or think about prior to embarking on, on a, on a journey like this? Oh yeah. I think, you know, Richard touched on it super well is be open to feedback, really listen to the feedback. I think a lot of people go in to their companies because they're passionate about a certain problem. They want to become the, the expert on that problem. The thing is, is when you listen and you take in different pieces of advice from different fields, maybe that's exactly what you need to synergize all together to create a solution that actually is impactful because the tried and true solutions haven't worked yet. That's why you're passionate about starting this company, right? Mm -hmm. So be coachable, listen, take information from different parts and different fields realize it's all probably plays an importance um, for, for your end product, for your end med tech product, for your end food security product, whatever that is. Uh, but, but have that coachability, listen, figure out how to blend those ideas together because you could end up maybe with something awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. I have one last question for you just before we go, Kyle. It's like, sure. in terms of the vision, so, you know, you're not just trying to solve one sustainable development goal you know, you've got on your website four different ones. And so I guess, you know, if you look forward to five years time, 10 years time, where do you, where would you like the company to be? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think if we're five years time, I really hope that we are much more integrated into this, this food safety space. I really want to see that there are tangible numbers coming out of that, of, of really creating safe food that's beneficial for both the consumer, but also the, the grower and the food production in this entire ecosystem. So now you have health in there. Like you said, sustainable development goals, you have health, you have food security, uh, you have partnerships toward the goals. Uh, so I think that that would be really big for us is just even seeing that we're able to save several million lives from not getting sick uh, because we were just able to do one little tweak in the system to be able to detect early and help people alleviate these issues before they have food come on their plate. That's amazing. And when, when do you expect the market to your product to, to go to market? We're hoping this year. So root for us. And uh, we're that is our goal. That's what we're pushing toward. 
<laughs> well, Catherine, we're definitely rooting for you. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, what, what an incredible discussion today. I think on that note, uh, you know, um, we can probably go ahead and go out there, but uh, this was really special. So, uh, of course, thank you so much uh, for your time and sharing your insights and experiences with us uh, today. It was really great to, to get to know you. I'm sure the audience would agree. Uh, so thank you. Ah, oh, thank you. I had a great time. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. All right, everybody. Well, that is the MedTech Impact Podcast. And again, I'm your host, Kyle Cruz. And I'm Richard Mikuljong. And that was Catherine Clayton, CEO and co-founder of OmniViz. Until next time, keep innovating. 